Have you ever had a run-in with the devil? If you have, please let us know in the comments. Now, surprisingly, four out of 10 Christians strongly agreed that Satan is not a living being, but a symbol of evil. And in light of that, we thought we'd address the topic of spiritual warfare as it seemingly has infiltrated our culture at large. And Hollywood's endless fascination of the unseen realm like that's depicted in the latest film of The Pope's Exorcist. Now, not to mention the growing discussion within churches of those calling for more ministries of exorcism and some even claiming to be on a first name basis with the demons that they are casting out, even calling on Christians to cast out demons by their name. And crazy enough, this hardly even touches the iceberg of all that is going on in the world, demonically speaking. Now, spiritual warfare is real, but deciphering what is true from what is false isn't always easy. But that's what we are going to do on this episode of Christianity Still Makes Sense. Welcome to the show that loves doubters here on Christianity Still Makes Sense. We are making sense of the doubts that can deconstruct our Christian faith with near apostate now pastor and apologist Dr. Bobby Conway. I'm your host, Tim Hall. Well, we want to start by looking at a clip of the trailer for the movie, The Pope's Exorcist, and parse out Hollywood from scripture. Inspired by actual files of the Father Gabriel Amerth, the chief exorcist of the Vatican, The Pope's Exorcist follows Amerth and his investigation of a young boy's terrifying possession and ends up uncovering a centuries-old conspiracy the Vatican desperately tried to keep hidden. Whatever you do, you only do because God allows it. Imagine what could happen if the devil possessed the soul of the Pope's exorcist. Who will defend you? Terrifying, to say the least. Uh, but uh, Bobby, there are a lot of questions for me that come out of just that little clip there. And again, that's only a small portion of the, the larger trailer. But I think one of the questions is, can the devil do things that God doesn't want him to do? I would say uh, yes and no. And by saying yes, everything the devil does are things that God doesn't want the devil to do because mm -hmm. the devil doesn't do good things. Right. The devil doesn't operate from a holy posture. Uh, the devil is totally rebellious against God. So can the devil do things that God doesn't want him to do? Well, he does all the time. Uh, whenever the devil's operating, uh, those are the things that the devil wasn't originally created for. Uh, so because of free will, and his free will obviously cost him uh, his place in heaven, being eternally separated from God along with his minions. But I would say, uh, due to free will, yes, Satan can do things uh, that God doesn't want him to do, and everything that he does is what God doesn't want him to do. Now, that doesn't mean that uh, God is lacking in sovereignty, uh, and that doesn't mean that God's not permitting things to happen. Uh, so, for example, uh, God will permit uh, the evil one, uh, and he'll utilize him as sort of a tool in his hand. Uh, and, but it's always to serve God's purposes. Uh, it's not to advance uh, Satan and his domain as the God of this world, but rather God would allow Satan to have at Job, for example, mm. and 
he would do that because in the end, God knew that the outcome would be that Job really did love God, not just because he had a lot or had great relationships, but even though God permitted that to be taken away, and even though it still fell under God's sovereignty, that's not to say that Satan uh, is not going to experience deeper consequences as it relates to his eternal separation from God as a result of the evils that he did. And so that kind of thing we can see uh, throughout scripture. God is sovereign. God providentially permits certain things to happen. Uh, God will allow uh, the evil one to do things sometimes even as a form of discipline uh, to uh, the nations or For example, if we just want to rebel against God and we don't want to listen to him and we want to fall into sin, God will uh, at times say, fine. And even Paul, the apostle Paul talks about that. You know what? Just let them over to the, to Satan. In other words, hopefully uh, they can, you know, quickly get over living in the world because they'll have their number done on them by Satan and then they'll return to the church. So in that way, God could utilize and leverage Satan as a disciplinary tool. Okay. Well, I think I think that's a really helpful distinction. Well, the second question that came out of that short little clip there is assuming that Father Gabriel, uh, his character uh, in the movie, is a born again, you know, spirit filled Christian. Can he actually be possessed by a demon? I don't think so, Tim. I've never, um, you know, taught or understood the Bible to teach uh, that a Christian can be possessed by a demon. That's not to say I don't think that there can be crazy, bizarre things happening in the form of spiritual warfare, but actual possession, uh, as a believer, we're possessed by the Holy Spirit. He takes ownership of us, so he indwells us, and it's hard to envision the Holy Spirit sharing residence uh, with a demon or a host of demons. So this is the distinction between oppression and possession, where Every person that's possessed is oppressed, but every person that's oppressed is not possessed. And I think that the category of being oppressed but not possessed would be for those who are believers. Now, what does this mean for people who profess to be born again, uh, to believe in Jesus, like perhaps some of these exorcists? Well, I think it creates a little bit of an enigma uh, for us. I think that Perhaps it looks like something close to it because they've opened themselves up to something, Mm. but it's not actual possession that they can't get freed from. Uh, It might just be a severe form of oppression, uh, and that's how I would distinguish that. Okay. Well, let's jump to our our third question coming out of that. Now, again, this is obviously exaggerated and dramatized for the screen, but, but do you think that demons are still possessing people today? I do. Uh, And I think that it's important for us to be able to discern uh, what that looks like. Uh, It's uh, not always clear. I mean, a a lot of people I think that are shooting up schools and doing some of these things uh, would be your demon possessed people. But uh, it's not always just a mental health thing, right? Like there are people that can be, uh, you know, demon possessed and that's because they've opened themselves up maybe through a Ouija board or something like that. And they become possessed, but that doesn't mean that they struggled from these deep mental health issues. It could have just really opened themselves up. Now there are people that have mental health issues and then they'll try to fake being demon possessed. 
So kind of the distinct things that you're looking for if somebody is demon-possessed is a, an absolute supernatural kind of strength where, you know, maybe if a 75-pound lady can chuck off a 300-pound man, right? She's got the strength. You think of like the, you know, the demoniac, like breaking the shackles off uh, in the cemetery in the scriptures. Um, uh, I also would say uh, the, uh, the ability to to speak maybe in a language that the person's never learned or to have information that there's no way that this particular uh, individual could know. And so if you start discerning through like, oh my goodness, this person knows things that I know that they never learned or a language that they never learned or supernatural power, well, then you can start thinking maybe it's more than just some mental health crisis we're looking at here. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit about, you know, uh, C.S. Lewis had a, a book called The Screwtape Letters. J- jump us off yeah. and kind of take us back a little bit to that. Well, I do think uh, he gives us some good cautionary avoid, uh, uh, advice uh, to pay attention to. He says there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves, that is the devils, are equally pleased by both heirs and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. That is such sound advice, Tim. I mean, to some, spiritual warfare is overrated, while to others, it is underrated. The ardent materialist, the full-blown atheist, is a case study of the worst kind of deception. I mean, think about it, Tim. What the atheist must deny, the atheist must say that Every religious experience, every spiritual encounter, every so-called miracle, every answer to prayer, you name it, everything supernatural is false. Talk about hubris to stand in the face of all of that and say to the billions of people throughout human history, you're all wrong. Well, that's a big claim. I think the odds are much more in favor of uh, the atheism or the atheist being the one deceived uh, than the believers who believe in the supernatural. But is the supernatural exaggerated? Of course. But to flat out deny it, every supernatural encounter on account, is on account of exaggeration, I would say, uh, well, that takes a lot of pride to stand in the face of the entire human race throughout history and say every one of these types of encounters has all been rooted in delusion. Mm-hmm. So atheism to me just seems unintelligent. The worst form of arrogance among the worldviews on offer, honestly, in my opinion, it really does. And that's because it bites off more than it can chew in the name of naturalizing everything, in the name of making sense of everything, in the name of sounding rational. I think the atheist is irrational. Satan has duped them in the name of sounding scientific. But the other extreme is to start claiming silly things like you're on a first name basis with the demons. Sadly, these extremes are often reacting to each other. And in many ways, I can see why. Satan, as Lewis said, is equally happy with being presented uh, with all the goofy caricatures of him in red suits, sharp horns, fangs, yellow eyes, or looking like the lead singer from Kiss as he is with people denying him altogether. Uh, But what I would say is he doesn't want for us is to be on to him, to know who he is, to know how he works and what are his ways. For example, several years ago, I was caught watching a program on the Discovery Channel, and I was intrigued as they were discussing the angel shark. Have you ever heard of the angel shark? If so, uh, those of you who are listening, let us know uh, in the comments. I had not heard of one of these, and as a guy that's been fascinated with sharks for a while, uh, the 
terms angel shark are two words that don't usually go hand in hand for me. But what's interesting about this shark is the way it captures its prey, Tim, by hiding itself under the sand and patiently waiting while all along remaining invisible to its soon-to-be meal. It watches, it studies the fish, and it waits for the optimal time to strike. Sometimes the angel shark, check this out, it will sit quietly and patiently for up to two weeks before busting a move, while all the other fish swim above the shark like nothing is wrong. And when one of the fish gets too comfortable and crosses the line, the shark makes its move. You can't believe how fast the angel shark strikes. If you thought Phelps was quick in the pool, you've seen nothing yet. It just comes out of the sand and devours it. The poor fish didn't even have a chance. And here's why. Because it didn't even know the angel shark was there. It was Mm. swimming around as if the shark didn't exist. And little did that poor little fish know there was an angel shark ready to consume it. As I watched this program, Tim, I thought to myself, this is the way it is with Satan. His number one objective is to make us think he doesn't even exist. He hides out. He studies us. And right when we are at our weakest, he strikes out against us. And it can happen so fast that we find ourselves saying, how did it happen? And that's his goal, Tim, to devour us. The angel shark and the Satan who appear as an angel of light. The Bible tells us that we have three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Miss the third one, and you just might get flaked. <laughs> that, that That's an interesting story about the, the angel shark, so I appreciate you kind of making that analogy there. But let's narrow our focus for our listeners just a little bit, perhaps taking a, a stab at defining for us what spiritual warfare is. With all the confusion that's out there, let's be clear and, and kind of set the record straight. How would you define spiritual warfare? Yeah, and I'm interested in how our listeners might define it as well. Uh, Let us know in the comments. Um, There's not one perfect definition, but a a stab at it would be that spiritual warfare um, in the Christian tradition is an ongoing recognizable war that we as Christians are engaged in against Satan and his minions of the invisible realm. One is against all things God, and he'll go to great lengths to blind the world and cause us to be spiritually wounded, desiring to make us casualties of wars if possible. But we can't engage in this war if we're ignorant of it, Tim, and we can't engage in it if we aren't equipped to do battle, and you don't go to war without first going to boot camp or being trained. And so it's important for us to learn this tactics. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's so true. And so next week, we're going to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, kind of how all that takes place and some of the tactics. But what, what I want you to do is, is help us understand maybe the origins of Satan and kind of how some of this started to, to um, be found in Scripture. Sure. Um, some refer to Satan as the Satan, as, uh, as a title instead of a name. Either way, the Hebrew word uh, Satan means accuser. He was originally created, no created, not on par with God as his equal. Uh, He's a contingent being, uh, you know, created as a good angel. Uh, But then there was this rebellion against God and a third of uh, the angels fell with him. And this became the first war in heaven. And Satan and uh, the fallen angels, now known as demons, are an outright rebellion against God. And he's now called the God of this world who... And the Bible says that he's blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the glory of Christ. So titles for him are 
adversary, devil, slanderer, a lion, a serpent, a murderer, a father of lies. He's got one objective and he just wants to trump God's glory. And we need to make sure that we keep our eyes open. Well, I, I want us to take a, a clip from, uh, take a look at a clip from uh, Deflate Trans uh, Testimonies. Okay, so this is, a, I think it's a channel over in Europe. And in this clip, there's a girl who's kind of caught up in New Age practices and witchcraft. And then I want to get your thoughts on that. So let's go ahead and check out this clip. I remember there was one night that I had gone to bed and I was drunk and high. And I remember waking up in the middle of the night in like a cold sweat. And there's like tears pouring down my face. I don't know if I saw something or if I had a dream or what, but my soul was terrified. And I remember calling out for a God that I didn't even believe existed. And I just began to pray. And the only prayers I knew at the time were like those Catholic prayers. So I, I just prayed like the Our Father. And I remember falling back asleep. And then the next morning when I woke up, I went to the bathroom and I was caught off guard by the mirror because I didn't see myself as this powerful, you know, light worker, this witch anymore. I saw myself as broken and I saw myself as just, I feel like how God had seen me or like the reality of who I was. And I was weak. I was frail. I needed help. I was in need of a savior. And I just saw myself like that. And I remember looking at myself in the mirror and kind of asking out loud, well, what do I do now? I had no idea where to go from them. I had built my whole life on new age. What was I supposed to do? And then I heard his voice and he just said, follow me. And when he said that, I was like, you know what? Wherever you're taking me is better than where I've been. So I just started to follow him. And that's where I've been ever since, is just walking after him. Tell me some of the things that come to mind when you hear that story. Well, uh, number one, we want to make sure that we don't open ourselves up to new age practices and witchcraft, but there's hope for those that do. Mm -hmm. And I think that uh, that's what's encouraging. Uh, and, you know, people that uh, come out of new age and witchcraft to become Christians, uh, they don't look back on their time in the occult movement and have fond memories. Uh, so it's, it's quite the opposite, right? Like if people who are, are claimed to be Christians and they walk away from that and open themselves up to new age and the occult and witchcraft, uh, they're in for some things that they uh, never could possibly imagine. So I do think we have to be careful. But as Christians, spiritual warfare comes to us, and I would say in the form of oppression. And I've experienced a lot of it in my own life. And through the series that we're discussing, I'll, I'll allude to it. Uh, but, you know, Satan works in different ways. And I went through a long, drawn out season in particular. Uh, there was some paranormal stuff happening that was just unbelievable uh, that convinced me that there truly is an unseen realm. That's for sure. Yeah, so we talked in the kind of the intro uh, a little bit about this growing discussion that's happening within the church room where people are calling for more ministries of exorcism. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, uh, there are people that are thinking about calling for uh, this. I'm not exactly sure what to make of it, Tim. Um, uh, I, I, I recognize that exorcism is not something to be taken lightly. Hmm. Uh, I'm not sure I've ever even encountered uh, a person that I would just be able to say, oh, that person was clearly demon possessed. I do think that you're dealing uh, with 
a demon or a host of them, and they're a lot smarter than us. So it does make sense that people are mindful. So I, I would say, what kind of ministry would that look like? I mean, we do know that in the early church, there was exorcism happening. Jesus did it. Um, uh, and I would say that people have done that. In the Catholic church, the priests, some of them are called to be exorcists. Uh, whether or not we need to be raising up people to be called exorcists in our church or not, I do think we need to be teaching people how to recognize the ways of the evil one, uh, uh, how to recognize what demon possession looks like, um, how to be wise about you know the encounter if you get into one. Uh, I mean, you don't just start arguing with demons and it's not as simple as just saying in Jesus name. I mean, there's, there's that, that, that can happen like that. Um, but somebody, um, that just walks up to somebody that's demon possessed, if that person's possessed and they don't want to be freed and they've opened themselves up and they're content to say, stay where they are. And you say in Jesus name, come out. Well, if that person wants to be there, then they are going to stay stuck. So we have to realize that, um, what, did this person open himself up to, to become possessed? And then we have to make sure that this person wants to get out of this state and then we can begin to engage. So there's stuff that's going on there and it just requires a lot of wisdom. So I'm not undermining the role, but I don't think we need to start creating a bunch of exorcism ministries. We just have to teach people how to discern, uh, you know, evil from good, God from Satan and his minions. No, that, that, that's a really good point. I do want to take a second and just remind our audience that if you're enjoying this show, uh, you can find it on YouTube and you can find it as an audio-only podcast on your favorite podcast player. If you're checking us out on YouTube, please subscribe to our channel, like this video, share it with your network. That really helps us out. It's a great way to support the show. If you want to join our financial support team, you can do so at ChristianityStillMakesSense.com. And as Bobby said, we're in a, a kind of a little bit of a series talking about spiritual warfare and all that's going on. Bobby, tell us a little bit about what we're going to talk about next week, kind of whet everybody's appetite on where we're going next here. I'm excited for uh, what we're going to chat about. Uh, we're going to look at a message that Pastor Brian Broderson uh, put together. And interestingly enough, Tim, um, this message in the midst of my spiritual warfare, I didn't even know what was happening in my life. And I went to work and this elderly Christian woman said, I think you're going through spiritual warfare. Well, I didn't know what that was, and it was exactly what I was going through. But next time I saw her, she brought a tape to me, and she said, this showed up at my house. I believe God wanted it for you. And she said, I never even ordered it. And it was a tape entitled Spiritual Warfare by Brian Broderson. And in it, Pastor Brian talked about the five tactics that Satan uses to really bring us down, what are known as his schemes, his wiles, his methods. And he talks about how Satan uses doubt, fear, condemnation, evil thoughts, temptation, and depression. And this tape was so strategic, Tim. And it's just amazing because little did I know in my early 20s, I mean, I think I was about 21 at the time, uh, I heard that tape that over a quarter century later, I would actually get to meet Pastor Brian tell him that story and he'd start bringing me on pastor's perspective radio. And now today I'm his co-host on this nationally syndicated radio show. And my introduction to him came with a tape that God used so much to bring me out of a horrific battle with spiritual warfare and to teach me the wiles of the devil. 
I'm just imagining the person that's listening to the show right now, someone forwards the show to them and they say, wow, I, I got that show from somebody I don't even know where it came from. And this guy, Bobby, was talking about it. And, you know, several <laughs> years later, I'm, right. I'm now working with him. And it's just, you know, amazing how things work out. So uh, great, great story. Uh, again, we're going to be continuing on. So I'm looking forward to the future episodes. And uh, any final thoughts or comments on the last 30 seconds here? No, I just encourage people to stay tuned to the next few episodes. This is going to be an interesting conversation we're going to have together, Jim. Definitely. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Christianity Still Makes Sense. We would love to hear from you in the comments. Get your feedback on the video on our YouTube channel. Subscribe while you're there, and we will meet you next time on the show that tries to make sense of Christianity. Thank you for checking out this episode of Christianity Still Makes Sense. This show is just one of the many resources available to those who are doubting their Christian faith. You can also find others at ChristianityStillMakesSense.com. This is a listener-supported show, and your gift of any amount helps shows like this continue. Click on the donate link on our website. Also, catch Bobby on Pastor's Perspective, where he answers your questions. Finally, if you're watching on YouTube, be sure to click subscribe and check out our other videos on the channel. This show was sponsored by K-Wave and Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa.